Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. Right now in Options Action, financials in the Fed, despite the meltdown in First Republic, the regionals and the rest of the big banks have been holding up as of late. Are option traders ready to put their money down on the speed and down sector? Plus, Apple's a final thing named to report results next week. The stock's surging over 30% this year. So can the tech giant keep phoning in? Big returns, we'll debate that. And later, we'll see if Starbucks can give investors an earnings jolt, see if our traders give Uber a five-star rating, and check out how much bullish action is left for Meta after a massive move this week. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Options Action. We're live from the NASDAQ market site on the desk tonight. Mike Coe, Carter Worth, and Brian Stutland. Let's get right to the banks. As we mentioned in just the last half hour, the FDIC reportedly getting ready to put First Republic Bank into receivership. Shares of the troubled regional falling more than 40 percent halted for volatility several times. Despite this, the regional bank ETF, the KRE, ending the day today about where it started the week, about unchanged. So what does this all tell us about the pricing of First Republic, regionals and indeed the banking sector as a whole? What does the options market think? In today's session in particular, Carter, KRE was strong, even as this news was coming out this morning when David Faber was reporting it. Right. So the big debate, and obviously you're discussing mm-hmm. it in the top of the hour, is, is, it, is it a one-off or a four-off, right? Is mm-hmm. it this bank or is it really something systemic? Um, I think there will be more. But what we do know is it is not a, it is not a J.P. Morgan problem, and it's not a Bank of America. It's not a Citibank. It's, uh, it's not a Wells Fargo problem. And so you start to get into... Um, where we are in relation to the plunge. And and what's important as a matter of trading uh, is this, that, again, markets are not efficient. Efficient market theory is is, is preposterous, frankly. Um, But they're very efficient in re-rating a security or a group quickly in response to news. So you can see on the screen here that in five, six sessions, right, the KRE index was re-rated lower. That's that's like 150 banks, down 30%. So was the BKX. And we haven't budged since then. That was, that was the beginning of, April, beginning of March. We're now almost the uh, end of April. And so what you have here is you have price discovery. In aggregation, this, this group belongs here. Now, one could say, but longer term, could there be another shoe to drop? Sure, but, but on an intermediate basis, the, 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 these lows should hold and it becomes a pair of twos after an aggressive re-rating lower. So it seems like the worst is behind the group. Well, so it depends on your time frame. If you're a tactical trader, I would be betting that you do not get anything immediately lower. Right now, long term, and this is, and that's not my game. I'm not a long term, right? I I think there's every possibility that you will see further general deterioration in credit-related securities. Yeah, Mike, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, every bank has uh, liquidity concerns, of course. That's the first thing. And when you have a situation where rates go from a low environment to a high one, that's when liquidity becomes a problem. And the reason for that is that all of those held to maturity securities that those banks hold, of course, their market value is considerably lower. And if you need to satisfy your liabilities, which is your demand deposits, by selling those assets, you're going to do so at a very big loss. Now, the second problem, of course, that banks can face is the credit problem. And we aren't seeing that as of yet. In fact, basically, credit defaults in almost every major category. It doesn't really matter whether you're talking about consumer loans and mortgages or on the commercial side, even commercial real estate, which is obviously the thing that everybody's looking at. The rates of default and delinquency in those areas continues to remain low. But the problem is that as you have a higher rate environment and if the economy does begin to slow, you're going to get both of these two things in lockstep. And that does present longer term, I think, 
potentially a problem for that. Now, if you're wondering why KRE was sideways today, and by the way, a lot of the flow we've seen in the KRE ETF is actually bullish. So you've got these idiosyncratic situations like First Republic, that thing's down sharply, and yet KRE is largely sideways on the same day. Why is that? The fact of the matter is that First Republic is a small cap institution now. It's only about $650 market capitalization. It's respective impact on any index of which it's a constituent is is de minimis at this point. So, you know, you really have to think longer term, I think, as Carter was suggesting with respect to what the dynamics are for regional banks in particular. My hope is that we do see some policy changes because we need these as a part of our economy, you know, ignoring the money center, systemically important banks for just a moment. We do need these institutions. I don't think we want to have incentives that move all of the deposits from one to the other. I hope that we start to see some responsible action in Washington about that. But this is the reason why you're seeing things like KRE trading sideways on a day mm-hmm. like today. Yeah, I mean, we're actually showing that the market cap, given the, the plunge right now down 40 percent, is sub $400 million. Um, so, so I get the, the math in terms of the weighting of any index. But, but the, I think the point is that there is not a fear. There is not that contagion fear anymore that 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 has somehow played out to some extent because we're seeing First Republic potentially go into receivership imminently. And it's not impacting how the other banks are trading, Brian. And so I'm wondering, I mean, have you seen action in individual names that indicate that people are willing to take that risk when it comes to, I mean, maybe it's the super regionals that are in favor right now, a PNC, a USB, a, you know, you name it. Yeah, no, Melissa, it's a great question because when you look at the levels of implied volatility of First Republic, they were trading at 600% going into this morning. And so that was screaming bankruptcy. I've seen that before with plenty of companies. Implied volatilities go through the roof and option prices are ridiculously priced. It basically says the company is going under. Flip the page, though. Look at something like the XLF. Implied volatilities. I know this is a broad-based you know, sort of sector ETF, but XLF, financials, big banks, lots of big banks in there. That implied volatility is only sitting at 18. So in terms of systemic risk, it really isn't there. When I look at credit spreads also out there, we saw those sort of tick up a little bit earlier in the week, and then all of a sudden, these last two days, they really snap back, tighten, which means, again, the systemic risk is not out there. I look at volatility indexes, the spikes, the VIX, those things suppressed, like we saw today, get hammered downward. So I don't think this contagion spreads outside of this one spot. Now, could other regionals suffer some situations? Sure. Are, is the KRE priced right? Probably to Carter's point where there's so much back and forth action, things have been repriced already. I think when you're looking at bigger banks, you know, he mentioned Citigroup, JP Morgan, Bank of America. I think those guys are all in great shape. I would lean towards the big banks. Big balance sheet is going to be in for the next few months, whether you're talking about banks or other areas of the market. And certainly those names are going to suck it up. And implied volatility is indicated the fear isn't there for those names. So why not move those prices higher on those kind of names and be an investor in that? And just quickly, Mike, I mean, I know that we're not, we didn't prepare a trade or we didn't even prepare the segment because this is a, basically a developing story. But um, if forced to put a trade on KRE, an options trade, for the next six months, would you bet that it would be higher, lower, or, or range-bound? So uh, I think in the, over the course of the next 30 to 45 days, it's probably going to be range-bound. I would speculatively actually bet higher. And here's my thinking on this. If you're looking for a space where an exogenous factor could come in from the side that could basically improve the whole sector, and that could be one of the things I was just talking about, you know, some policy shift that says, for example, we are going to raise the FDIC insurance limit on accounts from 250,000 to say 2.5 million, just so that you could capture a lot of small businesses, for example. 
that they're going to try to encourage activity that would support regional banks, I think you'd get a huge pop out of it. And the interesting point, what Brian was just saying, the implied volatility on KRE, is the regional ETF, is actually back to where it was about a year ago. So way before we started seeing all of the Signature Bank, SBB, this FRC business, uh, you know, implied volatilities were higher, certainly a lot higher than they are in the money centers, and I think deservedly so. But I, I think if you're, you're going to flip a coin here and try to think which way could you see a big move, my guess is that on a surprise sort of policy shift, it could be to the upside. All right. Let's pivot now to next week and big tech with one of the biggest names in the space gearing up to report. Apple has rallied nearly 30 percent this year. And with results due out on Thursday, Brian is setting up a way to play this name. Brian. Yeah, Apple's just one of those names. It is so highly correlated to the S&P 500. And as that starts to hit this 4200 mark, maybe we break through. We get Apple's earnings. There could be a lot more upside and people just have to own Apple if they want to be invested. Right. So it's such a benchmark for the S&P. However, having said that, when I look at some of the analysts out there, I'm seeing 10% decline in sales and max sales. You're seeing decelerating growth in terms of advertising and gaming. We saw 17% growth last year, maybe only 6 to 9% or so this year. And a number of other factors, stock buyback, maybe somewhat stagnant, although still their analysts are expecting $23 billion in stock buyback. That hasn't grown at all. So there are some concerns about this earnings event sort of coming up. And I'm just looking at an options market. Let me try and avoid this sort of earnings event, but still be invested in the stock to some degree. So what I want to do is I want to sell a downside put at the same time finance purchasing an upside call by selling that downside put. Now, the stock moved a little bit higher when I was first looking at this today, but I'm looking at about a $10 wide strikes. So you're looking at the downside here of, of basically paying 20 cents net if we just kind of go sideways. But by selling sort of that downside put, I basically am not going to get in the stock until I see a significant move down. And, and after earnings, basically, this stock has typically moved about 3 or 4% after earnings. I'm far enough on the downside where that earnings event is sort of out of play. And the great thing is, is on the upside strike on a $10 wide strike market here, the upside is going to cost me less and I'm going to have less of a move to the upside to start to participate in the upside. So I kind of like the structure and the skew, we option traders like to call it, on this selling the downside put, buying the upside call. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think I'd rather do this than actually buy the stock. You know, my problem here is that we have sequential EPS declines and it's trading at around 28 times earnings, which is a lot richer than the market. And, you know, I, I think this is a real wait and see on the on the on the earnings, frankly. I, I don't know that it would be terrible, frankly, if you really wanted to have some upside to buy that call two and a half bucks, relatively small percentage of the current stock price. If we get a positive surprise, you're going to be participating, but otherwise you're risking uh, very little. I, I just have a little bit of a harder time selling downside put, potentially owning the stock at 28. Well, it's going to actually be cheaper since you're going to own it at that strike price, but you know, call it 26 and a half, 27 times earnings when we don't see any real EPS growth. All right. For everything Options Action, check out our website and our newsletter. There is much more Options Action right after this. Still to come, with another big week of earnings ahead, we're looking at two names that keep you on the go, just in different ways. We're playing Starbucks and Uber with options. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. 
where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. Welcome back to Options Action. If you thought this week's earnings action was big, Oh boy, you just wait. A huge slate of names on deck to report. Apple, as you mentioned earlier, but also cruises, autos, pharma, semis, restaurants, nearly every sector covered. So how should you play the big week? With options, of course. To get us going, Mike's brewing up a trade on Coffee King Starbucks. Mike. Yeah, you know, last week we talked about uh, McDonald's, which is definitely not on the Holly Index, but Starbucks is. And earlier, we were just talking about a company that's trading 28 times earnings in the form of Apple, but Starbucks also is. The big difference between these two companies is that Starbucks, actually, we are anticipating some EPS growth, maybe as much as 20% year on year as we look out to full year next year. Now, a couple good things about this. Uh, company is you know, basically saying that they're going to do about $20 billion in returns to shareholders, either through buybacks or dividends over the course of the next 10 plus years or so. The other thing that is that the company, of course, is increasingly moving to digital, being very flexible about how they deliver their product. You have more of these pickup only drive through. I think that's a positive. You know, it's interesting. We talk about banks a little bit. They actually earn a bit of a float because in that deferred revenue column, what you're really seeing is all of the money that people have deposited onto the app, which runs at about one point six billion dollars. Is it a big number? I mean, for them, maybe it's not huge. But uh, that works out to probably 60 to 70 million dollars a year in float money that they effectively get on that. Now, on the downside, I would say they have a little bit of some challenges here in terms of increasing their prices. They've seen some steep price increases basically to offset inflation that they've imposed over the last three years. I don't know how much longer they can do uh, that. The other thing I would try to keep an eye on is their margins, because that's really the issue. They've seen increased costs. They have increased their prices. The latter probably can't go much further. We're hoping that they can achieve EPS margins of probably 13% or so in the next 18 months. I think the way to play this to the upside, because at 28 times, it's not cheap relative to the market, although maybe reasonable given their growth rate is to look out to June. I was looking at the 115, 125 call spread. Usually we're looking to spend about 25% of the distance between the strikes. Implied volatilities are slightly elevated here, so it's going to cost a little bit more. But you're going to be risking a little less than $3 a share to make that bullish bet going into earnings. Carter, what do you think? Well, from my point of view, it has characteristics that are desirable. The first thing is price volume correlation is bullish. Relative strength to the market and to peers, uh, also very impressive. And it's just a very orderly reversal, a bearish to bullish reversal stock that was down more than the market that's reversed. You can see that on the screen. And then there's this, 38 analysts covered on Wall Street. Their 12-month price target is 112. Stocks trading at 114. I mean, collectively, a lot of smart people think one year from now, it's worth less than it is now. I suspect that's not right. All right. Let's cut to another name that's on tap next week. Uber set to deliver results Tuesday as well. And the ride sharing stock is up more than 25 percent this year. So, Mike, how are you trading this one? Yeah, this is a really interesting case, of course, because we've always thought of Uber as a growth company. They weren't making any money. They had negative free cash flow. And that latter part is really important because the company is actually saying that they could achieve as much as $5 billion worth of EBITDA, a little over $4 billion worth of free cash flow is what that would translate to for full year 2024. And that would be quite remarkable if they managed to achieve it. And of course, if we're thinking of the delivery space, these are this is the king, right? They're the ones with the scale. On the downside, of course, they've been fighting these regulatory battles. First, they were doing it here in California. Now they're doing it with the Department of Labor about whether or not 
The drivers are going to continue to be considered essentially independent contractors, gig employees, if you will, and rather are going to be full-time employees. And that would really be harmful to their business model if that happens. As we look forward to this upcoming earnings, and if you kind of think about that $5 billion worth of EBITDA that they're hoping to achieve full year next year, kind of looking for that number to be a little over $600 million for the quarter. That's about half of what the run rate EBITDA would need to be for them to be hitting their targets. And this is really going to be the first quarter where we're looking for some of that real uh, free cash flow. Of course, options premiums, this is a volatile name, are quite elevated. I'm looking for a move to the upside. I'm trying to mitigate the cost. I was looking at a May-June calendar call spread. Now, this is a situation where you can lay out about 44 cents a contract really a small portion of the current stock price. The idea is to buy that longer dated call, and then we'll sort of see how the earnings play out. Uh, You will get some upside uh, in this case. You're going to see that that sort of peak profitability that you're going to get is up about 10% or so, maybe a little bit less uh, following earnings. Then, of course, if you have that and things are working out, you can hang on to that longer dated call after May expiration. Brian, what do you think of this trade? Yeah, it's a good trade because, you know, that you met, Mike mentioned 10% to the upside earnings the last 12 quarters, two-thirds of the time the stock has moved more than 5%. So certainly there's a potential for it to jump up if the earnings are well and get up towards that short call strike. So as volatility starts to come in, I'd probably take that short call off if that sort of speak happens because, you know, the stock could continue to run a little bit higher here. But I think Mike is far enough on the upside to sort of capture some premium, play to the upside on this stock, at least slightly to the upside after earnings. Quick on the chart, Carter. It has all the characteristics of a bearish to bullish reversal. The stock dropped almost 70% from its peak, double the market, and it's been uh, exhibiting great relative strength ever since. CBW stamp of approval, Mike. (laughs) Up next, Meta Madness, a social stock surging after earnings and doubling for the year. So how do you manage the name after such a run? We'll lay it out when Options Action returns. Welcome back to Options Action. One of the biggest movers of the week, Meta, the social media giant jumping more than 12% after reporting earnings, and the stock is now up nearly 100% this year. It's also been the fourth most heavily traded option this week. So, Mike, how are you and the other options players playing Meta after this big run? Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting because I think twice on Fast Money, we were highlighting some of the bullish activity that we were seeing in Meta going into earnings. We actually got more bullish activity following earnings And that's one of the reasons that it was one of the busiest stocks that we saw all week. Now, this is an interesting situation because, you know, the company actually is still, even now, relatively cheap. I mean, it's trading only 15 times full year 2024 EPS estimates when it's trading around 240 right here. Clearly, they have levers. You know, when Mark Zuckerberg heard the call that people didn't like where he was investing his money in the metaverse and rather wanted to try to focus on getting some free cash flow, spin a few knobs and suddenly you have it. A lot of it. My thinking, though, is that at this point, we've had a big move. And, you know, what we often talk about things like covered calls, this is not such a great trade going into catalysts such as earnings, because something like this can happen. You get these big 10% spikes. I actually think that this might set up well if you happen to own the stock for a covered call now or for cash covered puts if you don't happen to, because we've had a re-rating in the stock. So now you can look to avoid an expiration that had a critical catalyst. And you can now look from now until before that July earnings that we're going to be getting. Any of those you could sell. You know, you can sell some some upside calls against your stock. You can collect 10 to 15 percent annualized in terms of standstill rates of return by doing that and still have very low probabilities that those things are going to be assigned to you. 
I was looking out to the 215s maybe in the, on the downside and the 255s on the upside. Carter, where, where do you think the chart goes from here? Yeah, so there's a principle when you get a re-rating. Um, gaps come in twos and sometimes threes. We've gapped twice now, right, which is to say if the analyst community is behind and the stock beats by a lot, everyone has to raise their price target. And then they're like, yeah, but it's not going to happen again. Then when it happens again, which it just did, um, people move their price targets up to the point where you're not likely to get a third gap. My hunch is to reduce your exposure, to write calls, to trim, to do something before, as they say, someone does it for you. Up next, your tweets and the final call. For some tweets, our first fan asks, selling cat calls ahead of earnings, what's your strategy? Brian, what do you say? Well, with cat and the industrials, it's just been such a tug and forth, back and forth movement for these guys. I think if the market moves to the upside, then cat's going to participate pretty big. It could get to 240. At the same time, we turn down, the earnings aren't great, 200's in the card. So I'd actually rather own calls, replace my stock and own calls rather than write a call and sell against it. It's not like a meta situation that we just talked about. I think this thing moves and I want to own a call in that situation. All right. It is time now for the final call. Carter Braxton Worth. Starbucks a winner that looks like it will get better in response to earnings and Uber a laggard that looks like it will come to life. Brian Sutland. Yeah, Apple earnings. It's going to be big, but I want to do this in a risk reversal. Sell a downside put, buy an upside call. Still play to the upside, but just wait to see how this earnings shakes out next week. Mike I like Starbucks going into earnings. It's a stock that we own, and I think if you don't own it, one way you could play it to the long side is with call spreads. That does it for us here on Options Action. See you back here next week, Friday, 5.30 p.m. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. And may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Options Action participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Options Action Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Options Action Disclaimer.